Hey, if absolutely nothing else, I pray that that visual of the king of the world, Jesus Christ, who was strong enough to endure death on a cross for you, I hope that the visual of him chasing you down, overcoming any barrier to show you how much he loves you, sticks in your brain. That the God of the universe sent his son, and he didn't come because he had to, but he came in pursuit, recklessly, without abandon for you. That's the good news. That is the good news. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. And to send your one and only son for us is it's unfathomable. But you continue to heap it on. Because your son was incredible in reckless love. And so, Father, today um, we open your word. We take time in, in this thing called the Bible that is your word revealed to us. And we know that if you loved us that much, then your word can change us. It can transform us. It can make us different. And I pray, God, that that word today would transform people's lives. I know, Father, I know, Father, that there are people in this place who um, that don't know you, don't have the hope of Jesus Christ in their hearts and in their lives. And so, Father, I pray that uh, your word would pierce their hearts today. And, Father, for those of us who, uh, maybe as Lori said, are drifting away, I, I pray that, that today in your word would um, just bring us in, call us to cling to you, and restore in us the hope of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> we are... Um, in a series as we move towards Easter called Moving Out. How to move out to what matters and not get sucked in to sin. And the context for that is this journey that uh, Jesus is making with his disciples. Uh, in the book of Mark, which we're going through all of this year, uh, the, there's a first section in which Jesus is doing his ministry in Galilee and he kind of becomes this big deal. And, and then they move in these few chapters here towards Jerusalem. And what happens in Jerusalem is uh, ultimately Christ's crucifixion. And so over the next few weeks as we head towards Easter where we celebrate not just the crucifixion but the resurrection of Christ, we want to join the disciples on that journey between Galilee and Jerusalem. And as we do, what we're going to realize is that Jesus was moving towards his death, picturing life for you, right? And his disciples were realizing, maybe for the first time, what it actually meant to follow Jesus. They weren't just this group of guys that got to hang around while Jesus did cool stuff, but they were called to something incredibly bigger than that. That they were going to have to move outside of themselves, outside of their comfort zones with Christ. And so we started that journey last week, and we just asked the question very simply, what's changing in your life? What journey does Jesus have you on right now? Right? And so if you weren't with us, you can catch up that quick. What's changing in your life, right? And, and how can we then make sure in the middle of that change that we're moving out to something that matters with Christ rather than getting sucked back in to sin? Okay? 
All right, good. So we're going to pick it up in Mark 9, if, as you want to find that. And while you do, uh, I want to share a little bit about uh, some struggles that uh, Caitlin and I had when we moved to Shelbyville from uh, the metropolis of Campbellsville. Sarcasm. Campbellsville's not a metropolis. But So um, when we moved here... Um, we had uh, lots of things that we had to bring with us. We had a kid for the first time, so you got to pack all that stuff up. Uh, but one of the things that had happened in our house, uh, we had been hosting a, a small group in our home of college kids. Uh, and after I tell this story, no one is going to want to host a community group in their home ever again. So um, you can sign up to be a community group leader over on the Connect board. Um, go do it now before I tell the story. <laughs> So we've been hosting this community group of college kids in our home, and uh, two weeks before we were supposed to move, we found out that one of them had bed bugs, and they had been carrying those bed bugs everywhere they went, including to our home. Oh, I know it's terrible. It's terrible. So um, our couches, we found lots of bed bugs on our couches. It was great. We had a baby girl, Tinley was like one at that point. It was awesome. So when it came time to start figuring out what was going to make the move to Shelbyville, the couches were an easy no. And um, we found a field and we did this. <laughs> now, some of you are hoping that you get to go to Lexington and do this in the next few weeks. Um, uh, yeah, or I, I don't know. What are the Cardinals? Are they going to? Oh, sorry. Sorry. Too soon, too soon, too soon. Okay, all right. So, um, yeah, it was easy, right, for us to decide that, uh, and, and this isn't our couch. I didn't take any pictures, unfortunately, but we're in Campbellsville. It's not a metropolis, so I'm like, hey, guys, where can I dump a couch that has bed bugs? And this guy was like, I got a farm. We'll burn your couch. I was like, all right. So we literally took our couches out, and we burnt them, and it was awesome. Um, but then there was this other thing that was going on. So... Um, Caitlin and I at that point had been married for a few years and we had a, a garage sale to get rid of some things that we didn't want to move with us. Normal practice, right? But it was really weird because there were things that we put in that garage sale that we had gotten for our wedding. How many of you all, when you got married, you registered for things that you thought you needed and then you were like, this was such a waste. What in the world was going on? So we had all kinds of those items and we're putting them in the garage sale but it was really weird because I'd put it on the garage sale and somebody would go to buy it. And I was like, oh, grandma got that for me. I can't tell, I can't tell her that's not going with us, right? And it was really hard to let go of some of those things. It was really easy to let go of something like a couch, which had bed bugs. But it was much more difficult to let go of something that had some value to it or that we journeyed with or that somebody important had gotten for us. And I tell that story because I think today as we... Uh, go on this leg of the journey between Galilee and Jerusalem, we're going to see this idea that Christ, he's calling us to purge some things from our life. When things are changing, inevitably, there are things that we've been journeying with in our life that he's going to ask us to lay down, to leave behind. And for some of those things, it's going to make a lot of sense. Like, okay, yeah, if I'm going to follow Christ, there's some obvious things that I need to lay behind and leave behind and, and get rid of. But then I think, and my prayer today is that there are also some things that are embedded deep within our lives. 
things that are part of us, things that we love, things that are near and dear to us, things that have been a part of relationships with people that we love. And Christ is going to ask us to leave some of those things behind too. Because when we begin to move out with Christ, it's inevitable that he's going to ask us to lay things down that are not from him. So, that's where we are, right? It's easy and logical to purge some things from our life. Others are much more difficult. And when change is happening, no matter what that change is, no matter how big it is or how small it is, we are tempted, we are tempted to make everything about protecting ourselves. It's our human nature. We can't help it. And it was true for the disciples too. All right? Pick it up with me if you would in Mark 9, beginning in verse 38. Let me give you some context because we're kind of jumping in mid-story. Last week we ended, and Jesus was teaching his disciples, and he said, the first among you will be the last, right? And then he brings a little child up in the middle of the room, and he's like, whoever receives this child, he's received me, right? So then, this is John's response. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Don't stop him, said Jesus, because there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. The disciples begin to do what I would guess many of us do. They move into protection mode. They're out to protect their spot, their position as the lead servants, as Jesus' disciples. And so Jesus, he goes on with his, his teaching. He explains to them what that kind of thinking does. It sucks us and it sucks others back into sin. 9.42 says this. He says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to fall away, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to fall away, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. What happened to Jesus loves me? This I know. Right? The disciples get a little bit insecure about their position. Things are changing. They realize that something is really at stake. And John's like, hey, there's some other guys that are trying to copy you. Jesus says, if they're not against us, they're for us. And in fact, if you've got issues with it, if there's things that are creeping up in you that are causing you to maybe fall away from following me, cut those things out. Jesus didn't affirm them in the middle of their identity crisis. Hey, guys, it's going to be okay. He didn't assure them that they were the good guys and, and that it was all going to work out in the end. He told them to purge anything out of their life that was causing them to sin. Whoa. Whoa. That doesn't sound like the world. The disciples are thinking, we thought this ministry thing was all about just helping other people. We thought, about, we thought this church thing was just about Love Shelbyville Day, right? It's just about helping the community. But now, as Lee Webb used to say, getting up in my chili. Jesus doesn't just want us to, to serve. He wants to change our lives. 
And anything that gets in the way of, of following Jesus with all that we are, he's asking us to purge, to cut off, to get rid of. You see, when we get sucked into self-preservation mode, we end up living in fear of what we could lose rather than living with faith in the God who can give us anything. We live in fear. We live in the fear of losing it all. And when we live in the fear of losing it all, we give up nothing. We live in fear of missing out. And so our response to that is to try and do everything and be a part of everything. We live in fear of, of messing it up, of not being able, and so we do nothing. We hide under the waves, as Lori said. And all of that way down deep, is about protecting ourselves, protecting our spot, protecting our position. We, just like the disciples, are tempted to go into self-preservation mode when things change. When someone in our family passes, we go into self-preservation mode. When a job changes, we go into self-preservation mode. When a family member is coming into our world, we just go into self, we just hunker down and everything becomes about us. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't take care of ourselves, but what I am saying is that Satan knows exactly how to use that self-preservation mode to suck us into self-centered sin. But I know this guy, his name is Jesus. And when he changed his address from the streets of gold to planet Earth, he moved out and he left everything behind to give you one thing eternal life. He left everything behind to give you one thing, life. Jesus has a pattern of leaving. He has a pattern of leaving. He left his spot in heaven as the son of God, as the prince of peace, and he came to earth. When he came to earth, we've been reading about how he built this huge following in Galilee, crowds walking more than 100 miles in some cases to be in his presence. And then he left them. He left those crowds, moving out of Galilee and moving into Jerusalem. And when he moves into Jerusalem, what we're going to see in the coming weeks is that he even leaves his followers, right? He leaves them discouraged and, and confused about what he's doing as he walks to the cross and they watch him die on the cross. Jesus has a habit of leaving. But then he left the tomb that they buried him in. The guards had no answer for where he went. The linens were there, but he was not. He had left. And when he left, he came to see those that were discouraged and, and, and those that were confused. And now those same confused and discouraged followers were amazed and inspired. But even then, he left again ascending into heaven and telling his followers to get to work, sharing the story of Jesus to all that they would come in contact with. Jesus has a habit of leaving. Commitment issues? Nah. But why does Jesus keep leaving? He keeps leaving for one reason. John 10 is one of my favorite passages, and it says this in verse 10. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus says, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I want us to note something very quickly. It doesn't say that Jesus wants us to have an abundant life. 
It says, I want you to have life in abundance. That's life that never ends. That's life that keeps going. It's not life that's perfect and blessed. He goes on to give a picture of how he does this in verses 11 through 13. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, he leaves them. He runs away when he sees a wolf coming. But the wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand and he doesn't care about the sheep. You see, Jesus has come to give you life. And the way that he gives you life is he continues to put a protection around that life that is himself. He will die for you. He has a reckless love that will not allow you to be forsaken. Jesus left everything to give you one thing. So the question for you and I becomes this. Would you leave behind one thing knowing that Jesus gives you everything? Would you leave behind one thing knowing that Jesus gives you everything? Now before we can answer that question well, and before we can answer the question, what is that one thing that Jesus is asking me to leave behind, we need to think biblically about the things of life. If there's one thing that I think is often missing in our pursuit of Christ, it's this, this idea, it's this ability to think biblically about the things of life. And so Jesus, he says this very hard thing to his disciples, right? If, you, if your eye is causing you to sin, gouge it out. If it's your hand, cut them off, right? He says this very hard thing, and then they just continue on the journey. And as is often true for Jesus, he continues teaching them by the very encounters that they're having. And so they go out on this journey, and they encounter a group of Pharisees. We pick it up in Mark chapter 10. It says, He set out from there, and he went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Then crowds converged on him again, and as was his custom, he taught them again. Some Pharisees came to test him, asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he replied to them, Well, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. But Jesus told them, He wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And when they were in the house again, the disciples questioned him about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, I'm not going to go into a long discourse today about marriage and divorce. I think Jesus sums it up pretty well. But I do want us to think about what's happening in this passage, right? The Pharisees come and they challenge Jesus on the teaching of marriage and divorce. And he asked them to think about Scripture, to think about what Moses said. And then, even then, right? And they, they say, well, this is what was permitted by Moses. And Jesus challenges them to, to think about the heart of the law, right? But when they walk away, the disciples are still confused. They're like, Jesus, I'm not sure that I totally get that. Like, if the law permits this, 
then, you know, what, what's going on here? And Jesus has to teach them again. And I think what we learn in this instance about thinking biblically, whether it's about marriage and divorce or about whether a Christian should drink or not drink or whether I should cuss or not cuss or whatever the issue that you want to put in there is, right, is that when we think biblically about what God wants us to do, we shouldn't be thinking about what we're allowed to do, but we should be thinking about what God asks us to do. Too often, we get stuck in trying to figure out what God would allow us to do and still be okay instead of having that relationship with him in which we know exactly what he's asking us to do. We're walking in step with him, hearing his voice, allowing him to lead us as we're in scripture and in prayer and in biblical community together. We have to think biblically. My parents, um, <clears throat> my parents' pastor, um, I'm getting to know him. It's not like I'm there all the time. I'm there hardly ever. But I did hear a sermon he preached one time, and it was interesting. He was talking about some of the issues of life, marriage and divorce, new jobs, changes. And he said, anytime one of you comes to me and you want my advice or you want me to pray about something with you, you know, he said, my first question to you before I give you any kind of advice is going to be this. Have you been praying about this? And have you been reading your Bible while you've praying about this for the last several weeks leading up to this? Because if you're not hearing from God, you're not going to hear from God by talking to me. It's like, man, you are a wise dude. I'm going to steal that one. We have to learn to think biblically about what's going on in our lives and about the change and about the issues that we're facing in our culture. Too often we allow all the other things and voices in our lives to inform our opinions and our ideas. We have to learn to think biblically. But once we begin to think biblically, then we know that God is going to ask us to leave things behind. And even then, we still miss it. Even when we hear the truth of God, we miss it. It takes time for it to set in. We just don't see how we can change that part of our life, right? You, you hear him nagging at that one thing that you know you really ought to let go of, and it just doesn't seem to make much sense to give that up. It, or maybe it's a they, have always been a part of my life. The disciples, they still had old habits that were dying hard too. You may remember last week, right, Jesus held up a child in the middle of their, their meeting, and while he's teaching the disciples privately, he, he makes this emphatic point to receive those in your life that are forgotten or overlooked as the child was. Check out this next passage, right? Mark 10, 13. It says, people were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. You'd think the disciples would remember just a, just a short time ago, receive the children. But the disciples rebuked them. Like, come on, disciples. Really? He just told you to receive the children. And when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. The disciples still didn't get it. They missed it. And so often, you and I do too. Jesus' grace is greater, but, but still we see another child, another missed opportunity. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, how many missed opportunities do you have to leave things behind in order to follow Jesus? How many times do you encounter the living God 
and walk away unchanged? How many times do you spend time with him in a devotional or, or you're, you have a conversation in a community group or, or you're praying and you know that he's asking you to do something, you know that he's asking you to give something up and you think, I'll get to that one day. And in that way, we're just like the disciples in that moment. I challenge you, don't miss another opportunity today. Because when you miss those opportunities to leave something behind, you move out carrying more than you're created to handle. Because now you're carrying the burden of knowing what God is asking you to do and you're not acting on it. And in doing that, you exceed the weight limits of your life and you eventually will break under that pressure. Watch what happens to the guy in the next story as he breaks under the pressure. Mark 10, 17. So Jesus sets out on the journey. A man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all these from my youth. Look at him, looking at him, Jesus loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go sow all you have and give to the poor. This was his next step. This was the thing that he needed to leave behind. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. But the man was dismayed by this demand. And he went away grieving because he had many possessions. I don't know everyone's story. I don't know what's changing in everyone's life. But I do know that as things change, the Lord will ask us to give things up, to purge, to leave things behind so that we may taste a little bit more of the life that he has for us. Don't miss an opportunity to leave something behind today. Leave the lifestyles that are holding you back from becoming a better spouse, from becoming a better parent, from becoming a better Christ follower. Leave the frivolous spending that, that feels good in the moment and terrible when you can't pay your bill on time. Leave the unhealthy sleep patterns behind so that you can truly join Jesus with, with a full well of energy. Leave the laziness behind that leads to boredom and fake busyness. That's really just procrastination. Leave the harsh words that you speak to your family and to your loved ones behind. Leave the negative attitude about your job behind. And remember that you have a job. Leave the keeping up with the Joneses attitude behind so that you can breathe life into the specific gifts and abilities that God has given to you and to your children and to your family. Think biblically about the life that you're living and leave something behind so that you can continue to move out to something that matters with Jesus. Because when you do, we all together get to enjoy the impossible we get to enjoy the impossible because that work in your life is something that only God can do. Jesus closes this encounter by going back and talking and teaching his disciples. Verse 23 says, Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard is it, it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? 
The disciples were astonished at his words. And again, Jesus said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished. And the disciples began saying to one another, Then who can be saved? Folks, these are the disciples. They've seen Jesus do miracles. They've seen him heal people. They've seen him do incredible things. They've been journeying with him. He's taught them in private settings. And now when he's asking this one guy to give up one thing and he can't do it, they're like, well, who can even be saved? Everything that they've come to know, they question in this one moment because it's so hard to give up that one thing that God is asking us to give up. And looking at them, Jesus said, with man, it's impossible. You see, if you're going to leave something behind here today at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I leave that alone so that I can follow you. If you're going to do that, it's not something that you just are going to do on your own. It's not something you're going to choose. It's something that God is working in you. With man, it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. So when you leave something behind to follow Christ with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, it's amazing. It's a God-given miracle because he is working it in you. Peter began to tell him, look, we've left everything and followed you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more. Now at this time, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions, but also an eternal life in the age to come. And he repeats the teaching that he first gave them, but many who are first will be last and the last first. It's a tough teaching that Christ gives to his disciples and that Christ gives to us. It's a tough teaching with a great promise. The great promise is that he will give us life in abundance, life that never ends. The tough part is that he asks us to leave behind the things that are not a part of the life he has planned for us. It is possible for Jesus to give you everything if you'll accept one thing, and that's him. That if you will accept that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he died on the cross, became your personal Lord and Savior. If you will believe in him, if you will accept him, he will give you everything. A life that never ends. He will become your shepherd that lays down his life to protect yours. And as you continue to journey with him, he will continue to ask you to leave things behind so that you can follow him in the life that he has for you. Jesus left everything to give you one thing. The question today is if you will give up one thing in order to gain everything. Today, if you've never given your life to Christ, maybe you know who Christ is, but you've never left your old life behind to accept the new, 
Don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity. It may seem scary. You may not even know what that means, but you know that you've been living your life for yourself and not for him. I invite you to, to come. We'll be in the back by the curtains. We just want to pray with you. We want to, want to help introduce you to that God. We want to help show you how you can join him in the life of never-ending love. For those of you who have done that, when we come up and we take a piece of the bread and we dip it in the juice, we're remembering Christ's body. We're remembering Christ's blood that was broken and shed on the cross. And he did that to pay for all the times that we messed it up, that we sinned, right? And so when we do that, we do that in remembrance of that great sacrifice. And the way we respond is just by singing. By, by singing out loud to those around us the truth of the gospel and who we believe Jesus to be. And we also give, just giving things in the back. But today, I hope that God's word and the Holy Spirit is leaning into you and telling you what that one thing is that you need to leave behind. And whatever that one thing is, don't miss your opportunity to leave it at the foot of the cross. If you just need to come and pray, come and pray. Ask God to help you know how to leave it behind. But don't miss the opportunity to step into the journey with Christ, to move out with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope of the gospel. That by simply choosing you, we can have life in abundance. And so God, I pray that today those who don't know you would, um, would find life in you. I pray, God, that they would have the courage to leave their old life behind and to step into uh, this adventure with Christ. Father, we pray that today in this place old hearts would be made new, that sin would be stripped from our bodies, that we would uh, purge the things that are not of you so that we can push through and join you in the mission. Jesus, thank you so much for dying on the cross. Thank you for giving us that new life. May we honor you as we worship today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.